Thank you again for all of you who have uh, come today. This is the fourth in a series of messages called From Bitter to Better, Choosing to Forgive. Uh, if you missed some of the first three messages, let me catch you up. All of us have been done wrong. Some of us have had terrible things done to us that were not right or fair. It might have been from a dad or a mom, a spouse, a sibling, a coach, a teacher, a boss, or a friend. You may not be a Christian because something terrible happened to you and you can't believe there's a God who would allow that to happen. When someone does us wrong, we all have this God-given inborn sense of injustice. That was given to us by God. So we want to balance the scales of justice. If we can't get the person to say that they were sorry, admit that they were wrong, and ask forgiveness, then we become angry and maybe bitter. We begin to fantasize about things we can do to get even, to balance the scales. I don't care if you're a teenager or in your 90s, you have thought this way. If we can't figure out a way to balance the books, we withdraw. If the conflict happened with one of your friends, you drop out of your social circle. If the problem happened with someone in your family, you stop going to family events. Or you may continue to go, but you stay less long. If the trouble happened with someone in the church, you drop out of the church. God says he has a better way. Rather than becoming bitter over things that have been done wrong to us, he suggests a better path, and you all know what it is. Forgiveness. Our example is the Old Testament patriarch, Joseph. God's way of choosing to forgive is such a better way when things have been done wrong to you that Moses devotes 14 of his 50 chapters in Genesis to the subject. Joseph was one of 13 children born to Jacob. Joseph was Jacob's favorite out of all of his children. He gave him a special robe. And Joseph pranced around in it just to rub it in the faces of his siblings. God communicated with Joseph through dreams. And Joseph shared with his brothers one day, I had a dream that you were all bowing down to me. That was one step too far. They already resented him. Then they hated him. So when he was 17, his dad sent him out to check on his brothers who were tending the family livestock. They saw their chance and they sold him into slavery on a caravan going to Egypt. In Egypt, Joseph was sold as a slave to a man named Potiphar. 
the captain of the Pharaoh's guard. In other words, he was the head of the secret service. Joseph served him faithfully. Potiphar saw that God blessed everything that Joseph did, so he put him in charge of his entire household. Potiphar's wife noticed that Joseph was muscular and handsome, so she invited him to go to bed with her day after day. One day, Joseph and Potiphar's wife were alone in the house, and she grabbed him to take him into the master bedroom. But he fled. He slipped out of his coat. She was angry that her advances failed. And so she, holding his robe, accused him of sexually harassing her. Potiphar, without checking out her story, threw Joseph in prison. Think of it. Sold by his brothers into slavery. Falsely accused of sexually harassing a prominent woman and thrown into prison without a trial. If anyone had been done wrong, it was Joseph. If anyone had a reason to want to get even, it was Joseph. If anyone had a right to become bitter, it was Joseph. In prison, once again, God gave Joseph success at whatever he did, and soon he was in charge of all the prisoners. Two of the prisoners under his charge were the Pharaoh's former cupbearer and former baker. They both had dreams on the same night, and Joseph was able to interpret their dreams. He told the cupbearer, in three days... Your dream means that you'll be restored to your position as the Pharaoh's cupbearer. When you do, please put in a good word for me so I can get out of this prison. The baker, he says, unfortunately, your dream means that in three days, Pharaoh's going to put you to death. Well, both the dreams were fulfilled just if Joseph said they would. Joseph felt good about God helping him interpret the dreams and felt certain that he would get a call any day that Pharaoh was releasing him from prison. But the call never came. The cupbearer forgot all about him. Joseph sat in jail two more long years. Joseph had every reason to think that God had abandoned him. He had every right to grow bitter. We wonder if he laid in prison night after night thinking about what he could do to get even with his brothers and Potiphar's wife and the cupbearer. But there's no indication that he did. Instead, the text tells us that he continued to believe in God and serve him faithfully in prison. Everything he did informs us that he went from bitter to better and chose to forgive his brothers, Potiphar's wife, Potiphar, and the cupbearer. Pharaoh had two dreams one night. None of his magicians could interpret the dream, and then the cupbearer said, Ah, I forgot. There's a guy in prison that interpreted my dream. And it came true just the way he said it would. And so Pharaoh called Joseph. He says, I understand you interpret dreams. 
Joseph says, I can't interpret dreams, but God will tell you what you want to know. He proceeded to tell him what God was telling Pharaoh through the dreams, what he was going to do in the world. The Bible is a book about God. Genesis tells us that God created the world. It tells us that God created human beings. It tells us that God works through people. In spite of their faults, people like Adam, Eve, Noah, Abraham, Sarah, Isaac, Rebecca, Jacob, Rachel, Joseph, and his treacherous brothers to bring about events in the world where he can show his message that he loves you and wants to know you. God shared with Joseph that the world was going to go through seven years of abundance followed by seven years of famine. Joseph suggested to Pharaoh, find a wise person who can help you capitalize on those seven years of abundance so you'll have enough to get through the seven years of famine. Pharaoh said, you seem wise. I pick you. And so he chose Joseph as his second in command, ruling over the whole country. Joseph utilized those seven years of abundance so well that Egypt had so much food that they were able to feed the entire world. And Egypt became the richest nation in the world. Joseph teaches us that choosing to forgive takes you from bitter to better. I'm going to show you three ways that by choosing to forgive, Joseph went from bitter to better, and you can go from bitter to better. When Joseph became second in command in Egypt, we were able to see whether or not he was bitter. As second in command, he had every opportunity to exact revenge on his brothers, Potiphar's wife, and the cupbearer. Instead, his actions demonstrated that he was not bitter. The first way we see that he went from bitter to better, and you can do the same, is choose forgiveness over revenge. During the second year of the famine, Jacob sent his ten oldest sons to Egypt to buy food. Joseph recognized them, but they did not recognize him wearing the garb of Pharaoh. He asked about their family and learned that his father was still alive and his younger brother, Benjamin, was doing well. Joseph tested them to see if they had changed, if they were repentant of what they did to him. He accused them of being spies. They said, we're not spies. He said, all right, to prove that your story is true, you will not see my face again. I will not sell you any more food unless you bring your younger brother, Benjamin. Let's see if your story's right. When they ran out of food a year later, they came back with their brother, Benjamin, in tow. Seeing his younger brother was a very emotional experience for Joseph. Remember, remember, Benjamin is also a son of Rachel, and Rachel was Jacob's love. 
as he looked about and saw his brother Benjamin, his own mother's son, he asked, is this your youngest brother, the one you told me about? He knows that it is. And he said, God be gracious to you, my son. Deeply moved at the sight of his brother, Joseph hurried out and looked for a place to weep. He went into his private room and wept there. After he had composed himself, he came back and had food served. The men had been seated before him in order of their ages, from the firstborn to the youngest. They looked at each other in astonishment. How did this happen? When portions were served to them from Joseph's table, Benjamin's portion was five times as much as anyone else's. Joseph was testing them. He showed Benjamin preferential treatment. He's pretty sure that though he had been Jacob's favorite son, now Benjamin was his favorite son. Had the brothers had the same feelings towards Benjamin that they had for him, it would have become obvious. Apparently, they passed the test. Joseph sent his brothers home with plenty of food, and inside their grain sacks, he put back, he gave them back their money, and in Benjamin's sack, he put his silver goblet. After they had traveled a little while, Joseph's servants came after them and said, Who stole our master's silver goblet? And they said, None of us did. Why would we do that? And so they had them get down and they searched through their sacks and they found the goblet in Benjamin's. When this happened, the brothers tore their clothes. They knew if something happened to Benjamin. The father was grief-stricken that the brothers had told him that Joseph had died. If Benjamin was gone too, he would fall apart and die. Joseph said, okay. I'll keep Benjamin here as my slave, and you folks go on home in peace. He was testing them to see if they would sell out Benjamin the same way they did him. And he wanted to discern if they were repentant of what they did to him. Judah spoke for the brothers. If the boy is not with us, when I go back to your servant, my father, and if my father, whose life is closely bound up with the boy's life, sees that the boy isn't there, he will die. Your servants will bring the gray head of our father down to the grave in sorrow. Judah said, please, let me stay as your servant. Let Benjamin go back to my father. The brothers did not sell out Benjamin. They had changed. They were repentant about what they had done to Joseph. Joseph chose forgiveness over revenge. He didn't put his brothers to death or throw them in prison. He didn't exact revenge. He gave them food and he gave them their money back. Forgiveness is not tied to another person saying to you, I'm sorry, I was wrong, would you forgive me? You just do it. That's what Joseph did. Jesus also showed us that forgiveness is a better way. When Jesus was 
put on trial and the, uh, the Roman guards mocked him and spit on him and jeered at him and then they, uh, you know, put spikes in his hands and his feet and put him up on the cross. And the Jewish leaders mocked him and says, if you're the son of God, come on down, show us. In the midst of all that, he cried, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. I showed you several weeks ago that Monty Williams, who was the former assistant coach for the Portland Trailblazers, the Lakers beating the, what? what? You got to change teams, Kerry. That's part of the... <laughs> Monty Williams was the assistant coach for the Blazers, and then he moved to become coach for the New Orleans Pelicans. There, his 44-year-old wife, Ingrid, the mother of their five children, was driving one day, one day and Susanna Donaldson, driving 92 miles per hour in a 45-mile-per-hour zone, struck her car and killed her instantly. Monty shocked everybody at the memorial service by revealing that he was not planning on suing Susanna. But he asked them to forgive her and to show her love. He chose forgiveness over revenge. When we strike back at people who have done us wrong, we are saying, God, I know vengeance is yours, but I just didn't think you'd punish enough. I felt like I had to take this into my own hands because you tend to be a little soft. Joseph chose forgiveness over revenge. The second way we see that Joseph went from bitter to better, and we can do the same, is look at things done wrong to you from God's perspective. Now, I shared this same thing with you last week, and I felt it was so important that I wanted to repeat it today. Then Joseph revealed himself to his brothers. Then Joseph could no longer control himself before all his attendants. And he cried out, have everyone leave my presence. So there was no one with Joseph when he made himself known to his brothers. And he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard him and Pharaoh's household heard about it. Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still living? But his brothers were not able to answer him because they were terrified at his presence. They thought, oh no, he's going to exact revenge. Then Joseph said to his brothers, come close to me. When they had done so, he said, I am your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here because it was to save lives that God sent me here ahead of you. For two years now, there has been famine in the land, and for the next five years, there will be no plowing and reaping. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So then it was not you who sent me here, but God. He made me father to Pharaoh, Lord of his entire household, and ruler 
of Egypt. Joseph viewed his slavery and imprisonment from God's perspective. Forgiveness comes easier with a wide-angle lens. Forgiveness is easier when you see the big picture. God saw, uh, Joseph saw the big picture that God sent him ahead to save the lives of his family. Forgiveness is a one-way street, as the writer of our journals uh, told us this week. You can forgive even if the other person never says they're sorry, I'm wrong, would you forgive me? Forgiveness doesn't always lead to reconciliation. You can forgive someone but not have the relationships restored. Reconciliation is a two-way street. In this case, Joseph reached reconciliation with his brothers. The brothers were truly sorry for what they had done to him. Then he threw his arms around his brother Benjamin and wept. And Benjamin embraced him, weeping. And he kissed all his brothers and wept over them. Afterwards, his brothers talked to him. This was more than forgiveness. This was reconciliation. Joseph sent them home with plenty of food and gave them their money back. He said, the famine's going to continue, to bring, so bring your father and your children back. Otherwise, you're all going to die. When they came back with their father, Jacob, Joseph went out to meet him. Joseph had his chariot made ready and went to Goshen to meet his father, Israel. Jacob's name changed to Israel. As soon as Joseph appeared before him, he threw his arms around his father and wept for a long time. Israel said to Joseph, Now I am ready to die since I have seen for myself that you are still alive. The third way we see that Joseph went from bitter to better, and we can do the same, is leave justice to God. This may be the hardest one. After Joseph's father died, and he was no, no longer around to constrain Joseph, the brothers got concerned that now Joseph's going to punish us. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, what if Joseph holds a grudge against us and pays us back for all the wrongs we did to him? So they sent word to Joseph saying, your father left these instructions before he died. This is what you are to say to Joseph. I ask you to forgive your brothers the sins and the wrongs they committed in treating you so badly. Now please forgive the sins of the servants of the God of your father. When their message came to him, Joseph wept. His brothers came and threw themselves down before him. We are your slaves, they said. But Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? Joseph said, come on, am I God? God says, vengeance is mine, I will repay. It's not my place to press for justice. That's God's job. Relax, God sent me ahead to save the lives of our family. I'll take care of you, so stop worrying about this. Then Joseph goes on, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. So then, don't be afraid. I will provide for you and your children. And he reassured them and spoke 
kindly to them. Can you do what Joseph did? Can you leave justice to God? Gary Chapman has written a book called uh, Five Love Languages. He talks about five love languages that people use. Uh, some people's love language is uh, words of affirmation. Uh, they, they, they offer encouraging uh, words to other people. Some people's love language is touch. Uh, they're very touchy-feely. They're huggers. Uh, some people's love language is uh, uh, quality time, uh, spending lots of time uh, together. That's how they express their, their love. Some people's uh, love languages are acts of service. They show their, their love by doing things for other people. And then some people's love language is gift giving. They show their love by buying gifts. My wife Jory's love language is quality time spent together. I could do all kinds of acts of service. I could, you know, take care of the yard. I could clean the house. I could fix it up. I could buy groceries. I could make dinner. But if all that took me away from her so I didn't spend any time with her, I wouldn't be speaking her love language. Make sense? So Gary talks about marriage in that book, and he says, you know, forgiveness is the way of love. He says we can't erase the past. We've done something wrong to our mate. You can't change that. All you can do is say, I'm sorry, I was wrong. Would you forgive me? And then try to change. So if Jory's done something wrong against me, And believe me, all our years of marriage, she has done very few things. She is an amazing wife. But if she's done something or said something wrong, and she asks forgiveness, she's, she's painfully asked for me to forgive her, I have a choice. I can forgive her or I can make her pay. I'd say, no, I'm going to pay you back. I'm going to make you work off what you did. If, however, I choose to forgive, intimacy can be restored. Forgiveness is the way of love. I can't believe how many people mess up today with yesterday. They bring in today the wrongs done by other people yesterday. They say, I can't believe you did that. I don't know why you deceived me. I don't think I can ever forget it. You can't possibly know how much you hurt me. I don't know how you can sit there so smugly after you treated me that way. You ought to be crawling on your knees begging me for forgiveness. I don't know if I can ever forgive you. All these are cries for justice. Joseph didn't do that. He let God handle justice. He chose to forgive. And it brought Joseph to a better place. Choosing to forgive takes you from bitter to better. If someone had told me 20 years ago that forgiveness 
would be the most important tool in my inventory, I wouldn't have believed them. Wouldn't you like to move from bitter to better today? You know, we always think that it's too soon to forgive. Or it's too late to forgive. The right time to forgive is always now. And you can do that right now as we pray. You can get right with God. Asking Him to forgive you for your sins and inviting Christ to come into your life. Do not waste your energy on bitterness. The human heart was not made to carry the weight of bitterness. Would you pray with me? I want you to complete this sentence. God, today I forgive, and you fill in the blank. Tell him you want to forgive that person. And forgiveness does not all depend on you. You depend on Christ, as Carrie said earlier. Christ's love flowing through you, through his death on the cross. He gives you the strength to forgive. Tell God who you want to forgive today. If you've never invited Christ into your life, tell him you believe that he died for your sins and was raised from the dead and ask him into your life. You pray right now. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for meeting with us today. Thank you for your word that is so powerful. It shows us a better way. In Jesus' name we pray.